to the New Bridge broadcast with the services from New Bridge Baptist Church, located on Cleveland Highway, one mile north of the State Patrol Office, near the entrance to Laurel Park. Pastor Milton Harris invites you to join them for their services all week long, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and on Wednesday night. Now let's join the services already in progress from the New Bridge Baptist Church of Gainesville. Brother Jeb is doing mission work in Mexico also, and we love this young man and appreciate him. Got acquainted with him through the Bible College and uh, he's just always been a blessing. And I believe if you'll pray for him and pay attention, you'll get blessed today. Amen. All right. Brother Jeb, you come on. Love you, brother. Well, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Acts, chapter number one this morning. I want to begin by saying it's a privilege to be here. Very thankful to be here with my wife. Last time I was here, I was not married. So if you're wondering why I look a lot happier this time than last time, now you know. Because I'm now I'm married and very thankful to be able to serve alongside, or not alongside, but with Jana. And I'm very thankful for that song that she wrote. And she sent it to me the other day whenever I was at work. And, you know, I don't want to sound cliche. I don't want it to be a biased opinion. But I love the song because it was a challenge to me. And it's a good reminder that each and every day there's a responsibility that we all have to be a witness and to tell others about the Lord. And the difference that something as simple as a gospel track can make or just simply a, a kind word or being obedient to what the Lord would have for you to do. It goes a long way. The Lord desires for us to be a witness for Him. He didn't save us so that we can just simply sit on the church pew, go through the motions. He saved us so that we can bring glory into Him, so that we can love Him and we can show Him our love, not only in our words, but also in our actions. And I'm very thankful that the Lord has opened up doors of opportunity for me to be able to be a witness. And if you look for doors of opportunity, He's going to give them to you. Each and every time we step out those doors, we face the enemy, we face a world that doesn't desire to, to receive the gospel, but they have a need for the gospel. And so we have the responsibility of sharing it. And uh, as Brother Milton has already made mention of, I have been working in Mexico now for January. will be 10 years since I started working in Mexico. And it's hard to believe it's already been that long, but I'm thankful that the Lord has allowed me to be able to do that mission work in Mexico, has allowed me to see many lost souls come to know him as their personal savior. And a lot of the ways that he's done that is through the gospel tract. I've had a privilege of sending down 32 million gospel tracts over the past 10 years. And they say one gospel tract on average is read by four different people. That's a lot of people reading the gospel. Does that mean every person that reads the gospel tract is going to get saved? No, but the seed of the gospel has been planted each and every time that gospel track is read. Every single time we are kind to someone, what is that doing? That's watering that seed. That is being a light for the Lord so that people see there's a difference in us. People should be able to see the difference in our life. If we are a child of God and we are saved, how can some, someone as big as God move into someone like us and not be seen? We have. It is harder to work at compressing him and keeping him from shining than it is just to simply be obedient to his will because he will always reveal his will unto us. I ask that you please pray for me and Janet. We'll be going down in January to Mexico to do uh, literature distribution, to do some evangelistic work, and very thankful for what the Lord is doing in the ministry. Um, now that I'm married, you know, the Lord's also allowed some changes to take place in the ministry and allowed us to expand our work to help, to help other countries and other missionaries as well. And very thankful for that. And I want to preach for just a little while this morning and uh, to encourage our hearts, to challenge our hearts, and to 
just look at God's word and see how we can be a better witness for him in the day and age that we are living. I believe that the Lord is coming back very soon. He could come back before I even finish this message. He could come back before the end of this week. And if we truly believe that the Lord could come back at any moment, we need to be busy about doing his will. So if you would stand and honor the reading of the word of God, we'll read a few verses here in Acts chapter number 1, and then we'll pray and you can be seated. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you unto heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And in Zechariah chapter number 14, verse number 4, the Bible says, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the mountain of olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. In verse number 9 it says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, it's again we come to you very thankful for the privilege that is to be in your house this morning. I ask that you would please show up in a mighty way. Use me as a mouthpiece to speak to the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray I would not say anything that would hinder or grieve you, but I pray that you would challenge our hearts through your word and that your will and way would be done. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach for just a little while this morning on the second coming of the Lord. You know, I remember, I remember the people, the generation ahead of me, talking about how the generation ahead of them it seemed like the preaching of the second coming was something that was talked about all the time. There was a great emphasis on the fact that the Lord was coming soon. And it seems as if there has been a turning away from preaching about the second coming of the Lord to more of a, a feel-good type religion and more of a, a feelings-based religion where, you know, it's, you know, God is love. And yes, God is love, but we got to the place where we preach so much that God is love that we make it seem like he's okay with sin. He's okay with the things that are going on in this world that the Bible makes very clear he is against. And whenever we view the second coming, we have to view it in the sense of urgency. We have to realize that because he is coming soon, the, the window of opportunity to do something for him is now. We're not promised tomorrow. It's, it's uh, Proverbs chapter number 28, verse number 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Although the Lord could come back this very day, we could be in a tragic car accident on the way home. And we don't like to think about these things, but the reality is, since we're not promised tomorrow, today is the day to take action and to do something for the Lord. So with that being said, as a way of introduction, let's go ahead and let's look at the, the three things about the return of Christ. Number one, we see that Christ's return is unknown. We don't know when the Lord is going to come back. Matthew chapter number 24, verse number 35 and 36 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day, talking about the coming of the Lord, and the hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. First Thessalonians chapter number 5, verse number 1 and 2 says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. We don't know when the Lord is going to come back. We don't know when he's going to step out in the clouds and call us to be with him in the air. I know I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to finally being able to see the Lord, to be able to properly thank him for what he has done for me. We have limitations in our flesh. 
as to how we can worship the Lord, as to how we can thank Him. I'm glad that He's given us all of eternity to praise Him because that's exactly how long it's going to take to thank Him for everything that He has done for us. And since His return is unknown, we have the responsibility of doing something today to make sure that the gospel is made known unto the sinner. The Bible, uh, the Bible makes uh, reference to light and darkness. You find it all throughout the Word of God. First John is a great pass. First John chapter one is a great passage that talks about the contrast between light and darkness. Matthew chapter number five, verse number sixteen says, "Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven." We have a responsibility to be that light. And if we were to black out all the windows and we were to turn off all the lights and be in complete darkness. All it would take is one match head for everybody to be able to see. There's a much more power in light than there is in darkness. It would take a lot more to make this room completely dark than it would for that light to shine in the midst of that darkness. And the reason I give that uh, illustration is because light always shines in the darkest, brightest in the darkest place. And as this world gets darker and darker, as sin continues to rear its head and continues to show itself, as we shine our lights, it is brighter than it ever has been before. We just have to be obedient to do it. And since we know that Christ's return is unknown, we have to be busy about doing it today. And not only do we see Christ's return is unknown, Christ, secondly, we see Christ's return is unreversible. Once the Lord has come back, that window of opportunity for those to be saved has been shut. The Bible says that every man will be without excuse. He tells us that in Romans chapter number 1. Every man is going to have their opportunity to accept Christ. And those that have rejected Christ, those have, that have rejected his gift of salvation, once the Lord returns, the Bible talks about they will be given a great illusion. They will no longer be able to believe because they have not accepted the gift of salvation. Romans chapter number 13, verses number 11 and 12 says, And that knowing the time, and now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We need to realize that today is the day to be busy about the Lord. Because once he returns that window of opportunity to be a witness, it's going to be gone. We'll be with the Lord. We'll be with him in glory. And yes, it will be a time of rejoicing. It will be a time of great uh, praise whenever we get to see the Lord, whenever we get to properly thank him. But as I read the Bible, I realize that our tears will not be wiped away till after the great white throne of judgment. And as we see those cast off into hell that we had the responsibility being a witness to, it will break our hearts to say that we didn't take advantage of the opportunity to tell them of the gospel. Whenever we look at that individual who did not accept Christ as their Savior, our hearts will be broken knowing that they were not obedient to the gospel. And Christ's return is unreversible. Once he is here, that window of opportunity will be closed. And the third thing we see as we examine the return of Christ, we also see that it is un the Christ's return is oftentimes unheeded. A lot of times people hear about the second coming of the Lord. They hear about the fact that his return is imminent and that he could come at any moment. Yet too often sinners will look at that and say, well, you know, I still have plenty of time. But even worse than that, sometimes as Christians will say, you know what, we still have plenty of time to be a witness. We still have plenty of time to, uh, to be that example to that sinner of what Christ's love can do for them. And whenever we look at Christ's return, we need to make sure we're looking at it with the understanding 
that if we are not obedient to do what he would have for us to do today, we may not have the opportunity to do it tomorrow. So with this in mind, as we look at the return of Christ, so we know that it could be at any moment, it could even be today, and we have seen this great responsibility that we have to be a witness, let's look at a few perspectives of the return of Christ, the different ways that the return of Christ is viewed in the eyes of different people so that we can apply it to our life so that we can be a better witness for him when we leave here today. The first thing I want to look at, let's look at the return of Christ in the eyes of a sinner. Whenever the sinner views the second coming of Christ, what do they think? What do they look at? What goes on in their heart whenever they think about the fact that when the Lord comes, my opportunity to be saved is no longer going to be there. The first thing we see is the sinners view the return of Christ with a fearful heart. You hear uh, examples. I was even this way as a child. You know, when I was very little, I grew up hearing about, you know, the return of Christ, the rapture, how in the moment of a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be called up to be with the Lord. And I remember at a very young age, you know, six, seven, before I got saved, you know, waking up with that fear and, you know, cracking mom and daddy's bedroom door open. Like, okay, they're still here. I know. Okay, I'm okay. And then I would go, I would go back to sleep. You hear testimonies of people having a restless night not knowing if they were going to be left behind. And the second coming in the heart of a sinner is a very fearful thing because they know if they do not accept Christ, their window of opportunity is going to be closed. So if they have that fear in their heart, why is it that they oftentimes don't accept this gift of salvation, knowing that their time is so short? And the reason that is, is justification. Sinners are great at justifying their sins. I'm saved, and I'm still good at justifying my sin. You think to yourself, well, you know, whether it's the sin of pride, you justify it in your mind, well, you know, I'm a good person. I, I deserve to be a little bit prideful. I deserve to, you know, put myself above everyone else because I don't struggle with that sin. And we look at that sin that our other brother or that sinner is in, and we try to cast condemnation upon them. We try to judge them when the truth is, we may not be dealing with that sin, but we have another sin that we're dealing with. We have another thing that plagues us. The Bible talks about in the book of Matthew, chapter number 6, that you shouldn't be concerned with the little moat that is in your neighbor's eye when you have a beam in your eye. You know, we get so concerned about the little thing in someone else's life that we do not take care of the big thing that God is revealing in our life. So whenever we see that the second coming of Christ is viewed with a fearful heart in the eyes of a sinner... It's our responsibility to let them know they don't have to fear the second coming of Christ. That sin that they are trying to justify, say, you know what, I'll just put salvation off just a little further. I will wait. I know the Lord could come back at any moment, but I've heard people say, you know, I'm going to wait for the Lord to come back to get saved. And they don't have the understanding of once the Lord comes back, it's unreversible. Their window of opportunity will be closed. So we have to be busy today to be a witness. And as they view the second coming of Christ with a fearful heart, be able to tell them, to show them the peace of God, how they can have comfort in knowing that Christ died for their sins. Uh, Romans chapter number 5, verse number 8, but God commends his love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. God knew the sin that, we, that I was going to be in whenever he saved me. He knew that when he saved me as an 8-year-old boy, I was going to do more to displease him after I got saved than I ever did before I got saved, yet he still saw it as worth it to save me. So not only do sinners view the second coming of Christ with a fearful heart, but secondly, we see that some sinners view it with a fearless heart. Some people look at the second coming of Christ, and they're ignorant to the fact that it's even going to happen. 
and say, you know, if the Lord's going to come back, why hasn't he already done it? It's been 2,000 years since he ascended up in heaven. Why should I believe that the Lord is going to come back? The reason that we should believe the Lord's going to come back is because he gave us his word. He is going to come back. And if the Lord does not fulfill that promise, then every other promise he's given us in his word is uncredible. If the Lord is even slack concerning one promise or one thing in his word is untrue, it completely discredits the entirety of the word of God. But you look at prophecy, everything that was foretold before his uh, first coming to the earth and how he fulfilled everything to a T. That's a comfort that we know that if he was willing to keep those promises and he was able to keep those promises, he'll continue to keep the promise of his return. So those that view the second coming with a fearless heart, and they may want to say that the Lord's not going to come back. His return is just a myth, something that is made up to try to put fear in the hearts of the sinner. They need to realize that God always keeps his promise. And as he has promised that he will return, he'll also keep the promise that he'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He'll also keep the promise that come to me all you that labored are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He'll keep the promise of anyone who will come to him for salvation. He will give them that salvation. So we've looked at Christ's return in the eyes of the sinner, but what about Christ's return in the eyes of the saints? Whenever we view Christ's return, what does it do in our hearts? The first thing it should do, it should put anticipation in our hearts. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see the Lord. I'm excited for his return. I'm excited to see what God is going to or to be able to be in his presence. And in 1 John chapter number 3 verse number 2 it says, "Beloved, now we are now we are the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is." I'm glad we have the promise that we will be like him. I'm glad that I'll no longer have this flesh to contend with. I'm glad I will no longer have this war within me between the right and the wrong. I will no longer have to have pain. I will no longer have suffering. I will no longer have the trials of this earth. But I will have peace forever in the Lord, and I shall be like him. There should be anticipation in our hearts whenever we think about the second coming of the Lord. The fact that we are going to be in his presence forever, completely rid of evil, completely rid of the things that plague us day by day. Does that mean I'm not excited for what the Lord is doing now? Of course I'm excited for what the Lord's doing now. I'm celebrating two months and three days of being married, so everything is going great. In my life, the Lord is doing wonderful things. I'm very excited for the things he's doing in the ministry, for what he's doing in my life, for all the joys that we can have while on this earth. I wouldn't trade living for the Lord for anything in this world. I wouldn't trade the joy of having fellowship with him each and every day. I wouldn't trade the peace of knowing that I have the hope of heaven. But whenever we view the second coming of the Lord, we should have anticipation. Because one day when he steps out on the clouds, he's coming to get me. And I know he's, where the whole church is going to be ushered up, but whenever he died on the cross, he died for me. It was a personal salvation. So whenever he steps out on the cloud, yes, y'all are going to be with, uh, with me and him, but it's going to be him coming for me. And I know that sounds selfish, but I'm sorry. He just loves me that much. He is coming for me. He is coming because he desires for me to be with him for all eternity, to have that fellowship, and to have that fellowship without the confines of the flesh. I want to be close to the Lord. I want to know him. I want to love him. But oftentimes the flesh gets in the way. We were talking about reading God's word uh, in Sunday school and about how the condition of our hearts affects 
the way that we read God's Word. If there's something between me and the Lord whenever I open up the Word of God and I try to read it, a lot of times it's as if I'm reading it with film over the top of it. I'm seeing the words, I'm reading the words, but I'm not retaining it because there's something that has affected my fellowship with Him. And, you know, I look, and it's never the Lord's fault. It's never his fault. He's always upheld his end of the bargain. He's always done exactly what he said he would do. But it's in my life that I have to examine and see what I need to do so that my relationship is right with him. In the anticipation of one day being with the Lord face to face without this flesh, it's going to be wonderful. Uh, my dad, he sings a song, um, Finally Home. And the chorus is, just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding it home. Whenever we get to glory, when we get to take the Lord by the hand, and we get to walk through the streets of gold, it's going to be a wonderful thing knowing that we are with the Lord forever. So there should be anticipation in our hearts as a child of God. So the return of Christ in the eyes of the saints should be with anticipation. But secondly, we see that the return of Christ in the eyes of the saint should require action. We have to be busy about doing His will. Of the text that we read in Acts chapter number 1, Christ is getting ready to ascend up into glory, and He is giving His final message to the disciples. The last thing His disciples are going to hear from Him while He is physically on this earth. And what He tells them is this, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and into the othermost part of the earth. Whenever Christ gets ready to go into glory, he doesn't go up to each and every one of them, hug them, tell them how much he loves them. And we don't know the details of what happened after he said, but the last thing we have recorded in God's word that he said is you are to be a witness for me. You are to go, you are to tell, you are to uh, be a witness so that people can receive the same joy of salvation that we have today. Because he, they tell us, uh, the angels, the, the witnesses, they tell us in verse number 11 that he shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go up into heaven. Just after Christ said, you are to be a witness to me, they then received the promise of his return. So the disciples didn't know when the return of Christ was going to be. We don't know when the return of Christ is going to be. From the moment he ascended up into heaven, the clock began to tick, and God said, you need to be busy about being a witness for me. Mark chapter number 16, verse number 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew chapter number 28, verse number 19, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And going forth and teaching and baptizing. The final thing that God said while on this earth to his disciples was to be a witness for him. And that is the same message he still echoes today. We are to be busy about doing his will. Whenever a saint thinks about the second coming of Christ, there should be anticipation, but it also should cause action in our hearts because each and every one of you in here has someone in your mind that knows is not ready to meet the Lord. Knows somebody who, if the Lord was to come back at this very instant, would be left behind. And that's a very, very sad thought. It's a very challenging thought. And you don't like to dwell on those things because it is sad to think that that individual could spend an eternity in hell. But what, what excitement it should put in our hearts that we have the opportunity to be a witness unto them. If that person slips off into eternity and they go to hell because we have not been a witness to them, then we will have the sorrow of knowing that we didn't do our part. But if that individual faces eternity having rejected the gift of God because we have presented it to them, then we 
we'll still have that sorrow, but we will have that peace of knowing that we have done what we could do to be that light and to be that example. I wish that every individual I witness to would get saved. I wish that everyone who had the gospel clearly presented to them would accept it. But there wouldn't be a hell if everybody was saved. There wouldn't be that place of eternal damnation if everyone was going to accept that gift of salvation. It is a sorrowful thought to think that everyone is not going to accept it. But oh, the joy of someone who is willing to give their life to Christ, of someone who does accept that gift of salvation. And me and Jana, we were talking about it on our way uh, over here this uh, morning. She's had the privilege of witnessing to someone out in Montana who got saved on, uh, was it Friday? Friday, she got saved. And the joy of that, that is someone who is no longer going to have to face that eternity in hell. And we were talking about how it's addicting to see someone get saved. You know, you think of addiction, you think it's, you know, of something bad. You think of drugs or alcohol. Usually addiction has a, a negative uh, side to it. But addiction means to hold on to something with conviction and not turn away. Someone who's addicted to drugs, they have held on to that, and they have convinced themselves that they need it, and they can't live without it. If we would addict ourselves to the ministry and addict ourselves to the cause of Christ, where whenever someone gets saved, in our heart we say, we can't get enough of it. We have to go to the next person. We have to tell them about salvation. We can't do enough for God, but it is addicting to us. Then we can truly make a difference for the cause of Christ. I'm very, very grateful that the Lord has given us the tools necessary to be a witness for Him. Everything that we have, that we will ever need, God has given to us. Whenever Noah got on the ark, he didn't have to stop at He wasn't going to stop at a drive-thru on day 30 of the 40 days of 40 nights to get the supplies that he needed. Everything that he was going to need was already on the ark whenever he got on board. Everything we needed for this journey with the Lord was given to us the moment we got saved. Everything that we were going to need to do His will and to be a light and a worker for Him was given to us whenever He, whenever the Holy Spirit moved within us and whenever we began our walk with Him. Every answer we need, we can find in His Word. Every time we need comfort, we can go to Him in prayer. So whenever we view the second coming, it should put anticipation in our hearts, but it should call us to action, and we should rejoice in knowing that God is going to do what He said He's going to do. The last thing I want to look at Let's look at the return of Christ in the eyes of the Savior. How does the Lord view His coming? How does He view the fact that one day He is coming to get us? And I believe the Bible says it far better than I could. And it talks about in John chapter number 14, we see the promise of His return. John chapter number 14, there, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. It says here, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? In verse number 6 it says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How does Christ view the second coming? Christ says, I'm going to give them a second coming, and I'm going to give it to them as a promise. Whenever things get hard in this world, whenever things get hard in our life, we face a trouble, we face a trial, we have the promise of knowing that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The second coming is viewed as a promise in the eyes of the Savior. But not only is it a promise, we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 that it is a comfort. 
unto us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, we begin reading verse number 16. The Bible tells us, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that, ye, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord." Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Why was the church of Thessalonica in need of comfort? The terrible rumor had been started that the coming of the Lord had already taken place and they were left behind. And Paul said, don't you worry one bit about whether you're being left behind because whenever the Lord comes back, he's coming back for you. We which are alive and may will be called up together. So not only do we have his second coming as a promise, we have his second coming as a comfort. And whenever Christ views the second coming, he says, you know, I want that to be a comfort unto my children. I want that to be a comfort unto them, knowing that I am coming back for them. And then in Titus chapter number 2, verse number 13, we see that the second coming is a hope. It says here in verse number 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have hope in knowing that one day he is returning. One day he's going to come back for you and me, and whenever he comes back for us, we are going to be with him forever. If we cannot have comfort and hope in that, what, where else are you going to find it in? You can't find hope in this world. This world would leave you uh, in terrible shape and in desperate, uh, in desperate situations. But having the peace of heaven, having the hope of heaven, knowing that one day we will be with the Lord, whether it be through the ground or whether it be through the air, one day we are going to be forever with the Lord. And what a comfort it is to know that we have him to spend eternity with. And what a challenge it is to know that not everyone has that hope. Not everyone has that peace. And it's our responsibility to be a witness unto them so that they can. 97.5 Glory FM is WGTJ Murrayville Gainesville and W248DL Murrayville Gainesville.